Well, as a speaker, the words you love to hear are you have all the time in the world. (laughs) And we are so glad to be here this morning uh, with you because um, this is home. This will always be home. You guys took a chance. You took a chance on a broken family, but a really, really broken young man. And you trusted me. You trusted our family. You trusted us with a message of hope and trusted that we would give that same message to others. For that, we are eternally grateful to each and every one of you here in our White Spear Road Forever family. You know, when I was flying into Monroe here, West Monroe, we started thinking about the reunion that was going to take place this weekend, and it has been amazing. And to see the two young men, Brian and Derek, that you guys have now trusted, two young men that were also very broken when they got here, but you guys helped build them up. You helped put them back together. And you showed them the love of a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the word I heard this morning was that you have put your confidence in them because you are confident that Jesus Christ is going to be the center of all they do. So thank you for being a part of this legacy. You see, there's no one person, that's what we talked about Friday night, there's no one person that this legacy belongs to. It belongs to each one of you who set the path for us to travel down. And for that, again, we are thankful. You know, Mary and I have been very blessed to uh, be between both services this morning. Uh, We spent a little bit of time over there, then we got to come in here and be a part. And the word we keep hearing, especially when we were over there, first of all, was prodigal and and homecoming. And and we get to come home. And I thought, how how fitting is that, first of all? Because what I want to talk to you about this morning is really going from bad to good. Or even going from good to great. I know this. God intended for us to be great. He destined us our paths to be great in His service. You know, most of you probably know that um, I'm in recovery myself from drug and alcohol abuse and uh, been in recovery a few years now. And one of the things I hear from recovery people are, are how they, they, they hear voices. And it's good today. I mean, you know, in the past when I heard voices, it wasn't too good. But we hear voices. And, and, and hearing these voices... You know, we have to come to understand that we operate by listening to these voices. I'll never forget how glad I was when somebody told me they had a committee living in their head. Because I did too, and sometimes I got outvoted by this committee that was living in my head. You know, but but having this committee, having these voices, they had to learn to discern which voice they were going to listen to, and whatever voice they fed would be the one that would direct their path, that would help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You know, and, and when you're thinking about voices, you may be thinking, what kind of voices do you hear, Mac? I said, I hear all kinds. Look, I, I can tell you this. I'll be standing sometimes with a, a cup of hot coffee in my hand. And as I'm talking to somebody, I think, what would happen if I just poured this on them? Now, I will say this to date. I have not poured any hot coffee on anybody because I choose not to listen to that voice or I choose not to act on what that voice says. I don't know where that voice comes from. You know, some of you have acted and lived on the voices that you hear. And you heard voices that said, you will never amount to anything. You are worthless. Why even try? Others of you have listened to your own voice that says, you know what, I'm pretty good. I am a pretty good person. I'm not that bad, at least compared to those people that really have the bad problems, right? So we come to church or to celebrate recovery and we're thinking a couple things. You know, I'll go, but it really won't do any good because, you know, I am just beyond help. I'm beyond help. I'll go, but it's not going to do any good. Or we come thinking, you know, I'm pretty good. I've pretty much got everything all together. You know, I think I'll go to church or to celebrate recovery, and I'm going to help those people. You know, the prodigals, the ones with the real problems, the ones that were in the deepest, stinkiest, dirtiest mud of the pig pens. That's the ones I'm going to help. Well, before we get too far into this, I'd like to see if you consider this. I believe that everyone in here is a prodigal. No matter what voice you've listened to, I believe everyone in here. If you identify even with the older brother more than the younger brother, because the older brother, in telling himself how good he was and he'd done everything right, and he was his father's star, by telling himself how good he was, he found himself in his own stinky mud of his own pig pen. So the question is, what voice are you listening to? It reminds me of an old uh, Cajun named Boudreaux. Old Boudreaux was going to the country store, and he went to the country store. He stepped up on the front porch, and there was a parrot there. He didn't think much about it, but that parrot looked at him and said, Hey, Boudreaux said, What? That parrot said, You ugly. He didn't think much about that. I mean, after all, it was just a bird. So he walked in the store, got what he wanted to get, and he came back out, and that bird was still there, still looking at him. That bird said, hey. Boudreaux said, what? That bird said, you ugly. Now, Boudreaux is mad now. So he goes back in that store. He said, look, I don't know who that bird belonged to out there, but I can tell you this. If that bird keeps saying to me who what he's been saying to me, I mean, he ain't going to leave that front porch alive. I can guarantee you that. And that store owner said, Boudreaux, settle down, man. That's just a bird. He ain't going to say what he's been saying again. I guarantee he won't say that. Boudreaux said, well, he better not. That's all I got to say on the matter. So he went back out there, and there's that bird looking at him. That bird looked at him and said, hey. Boudreaux said, what? That bird looked at him and said, you know. (laughs) You know, it's really time it's time to stop listening to the voices that have been directing our steps whether you thought you were bad and couldn't get any help or really really good and didn't need any help and it's time to consider what the creator of the universe and beyond 
says about each one of us. And today I would submit to you that because of what God says about you and everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are, that you have been by him, the creator, destined to be great. And you might be thinking, hold on, Mac, now that sounds a little bit arrogant. You're saying I need to say I'm great. I'm not. No, I'm saying he said you're great. And I agree with you. We need to be humble. He tells us to be humble. But I would say this, every one of us who is trying to run their life by their own power, every time you will fall. Every time. That listening to my own voice is somehow a good idea or the voice of others and excluding the only voice that matters, the creator of the cosmos and beyond. You know, when God takes control, when I relinquish my control, he says this. He says, I'm going to stoop down. This is God, the creator. I'm going to stoop down. I'm going to raise you out of that slimy pit and set you on a shelf. I'm going to make you great. It says in Psalms 1835 this. You, O God, give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You, God, stoop down to make me great. I didn't say that. I just read it. He said that. You know, when we finally come to the end of ourselves, the creator of everything beyond is looking for ways. Check this out. He's looking for ways to bring us back home. Have you ever been going through the Bible? You know, I know most of you are good Christians in here. You've read the Bible through, you know, 20 times. But on that 21st time, you come to a verse and you're like, where did that come from? Right? Well, I was doing that last year and I came on 2 Samuel 14, 14. It says this. I'm just going to read it first, just straight through. It says, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that the banished person may not remain estranged from him. Check that out. Listen to what he said. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, we must die. We all know that it has been appointed once for a man to die. We can't get out of that. God says, unless Jesus comes back while you're still alive, everybody's going to the ground. Everybody. No getting out of it. Then the next words, I love it. But, right? When God says, but, you need to pay attention. But God does not take away life. Hold it. I just thought it just said we all have to die. Physical death. Now he moves into spiritual death. You see, God does not take away life. Spiritually, who does that? We do that. See, by our choice, we alienate ourselves from God and spiritually die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that the banished person may not remain estranged from him. You see, our father is looking for ways. He's making up ways to bring us back home. Now, we need to develop a baseline here. And that baseline is 
Who really needs help then and who doesn't? Well, I think we can sum that up pretty quickly. Romans 3.23, right? It says, you'll probably most of all know that one. For all have sinned. When he says all, who does that leave out? Nobody, right? That's an all-inclusive word. So everybody right now is on a level playing field. We're all included in all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So unless you're Jesus Christ or an angel that hasn't messed up, we all need help. We all have a problem. We all need help. We're all cut off from God. Yeah, right, Mac. But look, you hang around a pretty rough crowd. We know some good people. Really? You know, we, I know some good people, too. I'll never forget when we first got here. I wasn't going to say the names, but I'm just going to go ahead and say the names this morning. Gary Stevenson was here. If you know Gary Stevenson, he is like, we called him Steady Eddie. This dude never messed up. His wife was spiritual. His kids were spiritual. Even his dog seemed pretty spiritual. Everybody was spiritual in this family. So me and Phil are sitting around one day with a couple other guys, and Phil said, Owens, I think Stevenson is an angel. I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think he could be too. But how are we going to know? He said, hey, I'll tell you what, we're just going to ask him. I said, all right. So we got, got with Gary one day and we look around and we said, look, we got something to ask you that's pretty important. We won't breathe a word of this, whatever the outcome, we won't say a word. But are you an angel? He looked at us for a minute. He said, no. Phil looked at me and he said, that's exactly what an angel would say. We did talk to his wife later. She said God called him a saint, but he was no angel. So we cleared that up pretty quickly. So the most holy man that we knew, he also needed to be rescued. And that is where every one of us sitting in this room today finds ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where we came up short. Or, or like God said in a message to King Belshazzar when he wrote it with his finger on the wall, Meany, meany, tickle parson. It says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. I love the way it says in the New Living Translation, it says this, You have been weighed in the balances and you failed the test. That's all of us. Every one of us failed the test. Our best efforts to live a good, holy life came up short, and we found ourselves separated from God. So that was point one. Point one was there is no one good enough in and of themselves to be in God's presence, period. We're all prodigal sons and daughters. All of us were separated from God. We all came up short. Every one of us failed the test. Point two, the rescue. Now, I grew up around here in, in the swamps and bayous and, and mud of Louisiana here. And in, in, this, in this culture, every young man that I knew at the time aspired to have two things, a boat and a four-wheel drive truck, right? And in some parts of the country, actually, mud is a natural disaster, but not around here. The more mud we get, the bigger tires we get. That's it. And we play. So at 19 years old, I had saved up enough money to buy a brand new 1978 Ford four-wheel drive right off of Hickson Hopkins, so it's no longer there. I brought it and brought that thing home. I was so proud of that truck. 6000 bucks. Yeah. Try that today, right? As soon as I got it home, I jacked that thing up, 
put the biggest tires I could find on it. No mud hole was going to be off limits to me. I was going to conquer everyone I could find. Well, one particular Friday night, me and my girl were going out. That's Mary over there. We'd been married for two years. She's still my girl after about 48 years now. So, but we, yeah. Right? Hey, look, I'll say this. She stuck with me when I wouldn't stick with me, so I thank her for that. You know, I thank God all the time for good, godly women who have questionable taste in men. I really do. Because there's a lot of them that brought us back. Anyway, we were going to set out. We were going to, we were going to conquer a big mud hole. I said, I'm going to impress her tonight. So we went to this pipeline, and we found this mud hole. I mean, it looked like a miniature lake. That hole, I said, oh, yeah, baby, this is the one I was looking for right here. Man, I took out across that, locked in them hubs, took out across that thing. And for about 100 yards, everything was going good. We was going, and man, we was going, and then it started slowing down, and then instead of going forward, it started just going down. Well, needless to say, that truck got stopped in that water and that mud, and I looked out the window, and the window of the truck, of this jacked-up truck, the mud was like right here. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, now we got problems. So I climbed out the window, got Mary in the back of the truck. She climbed to the end of the truck, got on my back, and I carried her out of that mud. And we went and walked to a store a couple miles away. And we actually used a payphone. Some of you are like, what, you mean you had to pay for extra minutes? Or No, we actually put money in a phone to call somebody. Well, we called my friend, and it was really embarrassing because I was like, I did not want to call somebody and tell them I was stuck. I really didn't. But I knew if I didn't, I wasn't going home that night, So, or at least with my truck. And so I called him, and after he got through laughing, he said, look, I'll, I'll be there. So Mary and I walked back in uh, as far as we could and waited on them to get there. Well, about an hour later, we saw the lights of a lone pickup truck coming up and cresting a hill. I'm like, fantastic, man, he's here. What I didn't know was that he had called some more of my friends. And told them of what I had done that night. And then right behind him there was another truck. And another truck. And another truck. And a Jeep. And another truck. When it was all over there was about 25 trucks and Jeeps. All with winches ready to help pull us out that night. You know I'll never forget in that moment. The feeling of being loved. Friends of mine had stopped what they were doing. To come help us. Before the night was over, six more trucks would get stuck, but everybody eventually... (laughs) Consequences to your actions, they affect others too, right? Yeah. We all made it home that night, though. And I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking how God does the exact same thing for us. He stops what He's doing when we call on Him and He comes to our rescue. You know, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is Psalms 18 because it very clearly and concisely shows that how God works to bring us back home when we call on him from the depths of our heart. David, a man after God's own heart in this in this chapter, finds himself at death's doorstop. And not only did he call on God, it says he cried out to God for help. And I love what it says next. It says, from his home, 
from God's home, he heard David's voice. And then it says he became angry. God became angry. At David? Oh, no. Not at David. David cried out for help. He was one of God's. God was angry at the enemy who was bringing death to David. Then something amazing happens. This picture that that the psalmist paints right here is amazing. Because it says, God then parts the heavens and comes down. God himself comes down to do battle with David's enemy. And it says he rides the clouds that are being driven by the wind. And as he's riding these clouds, he starts throwing hailstones and bolts of lightning because he's coming to save his son. And when the enemy is subdued, it says he reaches down from on high and raises David out. He snatches him out of the battlefield right in the nick of time. Psalms eighteen seventeen picks up where David said this. He, God, rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They, my foes, confronted me on the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Did you listen to that last part? He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, God didn't rescue David because he loved him. Oh, love played a part in it. And he did love David, but God loves everybody. He rescued David because David cried out to him, because David was his own, and because God just liked David. He liked him. And I know this. When you like someone, it's different from love. Oh, you love them too. Of course you do. But when you like them, you want to do things with them. You want to spend time with them. God says, I want to spend time with David. I delight in him. I like him. And that's what he says about us today. He loves us and likes us. David would later say in Psalm 70, verse 5, I am in deep trouble. Rush to my aid, for only you, God, can help and save me. Do you have to ask your question? Ask yourself a question. How easy is it for you to ask for help? You know, because if I ask for anything, if I ask for help in, in any area of my life, it simply means that I can't do it in and of my own self, right? So asking for help sometimes is hard for us to do, to admit that we need someone else's help. And, and, and if I do, people might think we're weak or we're foolish or, or, or somehow we'll, 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 we'll live below this perfect image that I, that I want to portray, that I want people to think I am, that I don't ever mess up. If I ask for help, people will know that I'm weak. I'm going to let you in on a little secret right now. This is going to be pretty cool. You might want to get your pens out. You're probably going to write this down. And it's especially for any of us who are trying to maintain that perfect exterior. Here's the secret. Get it out. Write it down right now. We already know. We already know that you're not perfect. We already know that you're weak. We already know that you struggle. 
Philippians 1, 6 takes care of that, doesn't it? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Completion date is when? When Jesus comes back. Last time I checked, Jesus is not back, so that means all of us have work to do. So I already know you're weak. I already know you got struggles. You're human. Just like me. Oh, you know the same thing about me, too, by the way. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, and I, that's what I love about this church. I love about Celebrate Recovery here at this church. I love about White's Bay Road. Because from the beginning, you guys have been all about reaching out to the prodigals. And in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, which I believe we all can find ourselves in, we see that after the son basically wished his father dead, because by asking for his inheritance, that what he, that's what he said, right? I wish you were dead. Give me your money. Give me my inheritance. We see that after he gets his inheritance, he leaves for a distant country. And you might be thinking, how foolish that is. I would never leave the, the comfort and, and the security and the wealth of my father's house. I would never do that. Go out on my own. No way. <laughs> really? Think about it. You know, how many of us has le- have left for that distant country of accumulating wealth or things? How many of us have left the security of the Father's house for power or for status or for, for admiration, for prestige? I mean, people look up to me. Or some of us have gone to those slightly closer distant countries that are easier to get to, like drugs or alcohol or sexual gratification or food. And I'm thinking that all of us at one time or another have found ourselves in that distant country of self-reliance. I got this. I've come to an epiphany. (laughs) For me, I am a prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. You see, the Father loves us so much that He allows us to leave with the risk that we may never make it back home. All the while, He stands on the hill looking for our return, waiting for us to come home. And I believe the Father, our Father, will use any means possible To encourage that trip home because he devises ways to bring us home. So maybe like the younger brother, we find ourselves in a place where nobody really cares if we ever come back anyway, except the father, because he devises ways to bring us home. Or maybe we're in a place where our health is now failing because of poor life choices or or just life circumstances. And and we feel that we can never be a part of God's family. But he devises ways to bring us home or a place where drugs and alcohol or sex or food or anything like that isn't working anymore. He devises ways to bring us home. You see, God is looking for any excuse that he can come up with to bring us back to him. Any excuse. And if that means getting us down in the stinkiest, dirtiest mud of the pig pen, 
He'll use that to bring us home. You might be that person that nobody actually wants to come back. You just are that person that you've burned every bridge and people don't want you around. He'll use that to bring you home. You might be that person in that three-piece suit and you've climbed the corporate ladder and, and your success because of trampling on other people on the way up. Nobody wants you around. He'll use that to bring you home. Or you might be that church leader who got caught looking at things on your computer that you never should have been looking at and now the church doesn't want you here anymore. He'll use that to bring you home. He will use whatever, listen to this, He will use whatever we place in our lives above Him to humble us and bring us back home. Because there's four words that He longs to hear from each one of us. Four words. Can I come home? Can I come home to a place where we're welcome to return when and especially when we show up totally empty-handed. You know, it's the realization that when I go home, i got nothing to offer Him. Nothing. Except my broken life. That's all I had when I got here. My broken life. You know what? He, he took that. He took that. You know, it's in that moment of brokenness that I come to the limited understanding that my father, who has been waiting on my return, wants to cover me with his shield of victory. And with his mighty right hand, he stoops down from on high to make me and you great. And he does this for two reasons that I know of. The first one is simply to show us how much he loves us. The second one, the second one, though, it's for us to show others that the same love is available to them, too. That brings us to point three, and point three is we can now enter the race knowing that we win. Knowing it. You know, there's a hill in Colorado where we live now. They call it a hill. Since we're from Louisiana, it's really a mountain. I promise you. It's, it's big. But they say we're going to climb this hill. And I'm like, don't look like no hill I've ever seen, but all right, I'll go. It's called the incline, and it's only a mile long. One mile. People come from all over the world to, to go up this one mile long hill. And you might be thinking, a mile? Good night. I can do a mile. No problem. Well, before you say that, hold on. Because this... One mile hill ascends 2,000 feet vertically in that mile. So it goes from 8,000, I mean 6,000 feet where the oxygen is not real thick anyway, to 8,000 feet where it's really thin. And in this 8,000, um, 2,000 feet, the average grade is between 45 and 68 degrees. There's 2,744 steps, and they're all at different heights and different widths. It will test every bit of metal that you have. So when I start climbing this thing, I like to do it a couple times a year just to say that I can do it. 
And, and when I start climbing this thing, I'm really taking about two steps at a time. I'm feeling pretty good, you know. I take two steps, and after a little while, I, I just I slow it down. The oxygen gets a little thinner. The, it gets a little steeper, and I quickly go down to one step at a time. And then about three-quarters of the way up there, you see the summit, and you're like, man, thank goodness, I'm almost there. And when you get there, you realize it's a false summit, and you look up, and the real summit is still a long way off. And you think, maybe I ought to turn back now. Then someone passes you and says, hey, what a great day for a climb. You are doing fantastic. See you at the top. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And something deep inside you just stirs and you think, you know, I I really can do this. I I think I can do it. I'm, I'm a winner for just being out here today, for just thinking I could do this. By this time, I'm taking two steps to make every one step. In other words, in that one foot area to the next step, I'm shuffling now just to make it to that step. But then occasionally I'll pass somebody. And I'm thinking, what a stud. Crossfit, oh yeah, baby. And then in that moment, as I'm sucking every bit of oxygen that I can get from this oxygen-depleted air, I realize that I am just one slow turtle passing a slightly slower turtle. And I tell them in this moment, I think I need to encourage them. I say, we're going to make it. Let's just keep going. And then for an instant, you look up and you see the top. And you think, wow, I really can make it. And you get that spark of energy and you you dig deep inside and you think, you know what? If I just look at that step in front of me, I know I can take one more step. And so you make it to the top, taking one step at a time. I know I can take one step at a time. I know I can. And then as you get to the top and you get on that last stair, there's people all around. The guy that passed you, the girl that has passed you and then came back down and came back back up and passed you is there. And they're all cheering and clapping. And you're like, what? Did I win something? And everybody, they're looking at you like you were the winner. And in that moment, you realize we all won. There wasn't a first or a last. Everybody who made it to the top won. So we find ourselves in the race of life. God makes us great. Not so we can come in first. He makes us great so we can tell others that they win. By entering the race, they win. That's what He makes us great for. Because there's going to be days when it seems like everything is going bad and everybody is passing us by. And then you'll see somebody that you know from the church here and they'll say, Hey, I know I heard you were having some struggles. I'm praying for you today. I'm going to pray all day that you have a great day today. And then you'll come on some false summits and you're thinking, I finally arrived, only to realize you have a new struggle or a new character defect that you have to deal with. And you wonder, is this even worth it? Then then for just a second, you stop and you look at the past and you think about all the steps I've come up. And you say, you know what? I'm not going back there. I'm going to continue up. I don't care how hard it gets. I can do this. 
And then you make it through your current struggle. And in that moment, you realize, I was made for this. I was made to win. I was made to tell other people that God has a purpose and a plan for them too. You know, I love inviting people to church to celebrate recovery anywhere that I can get them just to show them what God can do for them. And, and, you know, today we don't need to be intimidated by others who have a greater station in life than we do or disgusted by those who might be more of a prodigal than we were. Because remember, all of us fell short. You know, I'll never forget when someone brought the head of a doctoral program from a local university to our Bible study at our cabinet shop at 6 a.m. on Tuesday and Thursday morning. They brought him in that morning, and I knew who he was. And, and, he, and he came in there, and this guy, I was like, what did they bring him for? I got nothing to offer him. He's got more degrees than he even remembers right now. Why is he here is what I was thinking in my mind. We were in First Second Thess- Thessalonians 1. We were in verse 6. We would read several verses and then people would say what those verses meant to them. Here's what we read. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when our Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in His blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, this professor who had all these degrees degrees, very excitedly raised his hand in a matter that I knew I wasn't going to be able to overlook him. He was like, you need to stop now because I need to speak. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And he said, now in this verse, who's going to punish who? I said, well, in this verse, it's God who's punishing the dis- disobedient. And he responded with, I thought Satan was the punisher. I said, well, not here. It's God that punishes those who do not know him. And he looked back at that for a minute. And he looked up at me and he said, carry on. This is pressing business. And I said, yes, sir. You know, he later told me. After several studies with him on the outside, he said, sometimes I feel like I've been educated well beyond my intellect. Think about that. He said, this message is so simple, I almost missed it. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And in that moment, I was never so proud to think, I didn't look down on him because he knew more than me. You know, on the other end of that spectrum, I shared with a man who, uh, who was Skid Row. Skid Row alcoholic. He was illiterate. He lived under bridges. I mean, he lived a really, really rough life. Rough life. Totally the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, he heard the message of hope in Jesus and he was cut to the heart, but he just couldn't quite believe that it applied to him too. He just didn't think it would work for him. He said, but you know, I'll keep coming, but I I just have been too bad. This won't work. So about six months into coming to Celebrate Recovery and some of the other um, Overcomers Outreach group that we had, he went out and got drunk. He didn't show up at the meeting that night and somebody told us he he was drunk. 
And they told us they knew where he was. So me and old Keith Powell loaded up in the vehicle that late that evening, went out in the middle of, I can't even remember where it was now, to an old flea bag hotel. And we knew what room he was in. We knocked on the door. He came to the door. He cracked it over. He looked at us. And he said, what are you doing here? And we simply said, we came to get the brother that we love. In that moment, his heart melted. See, he didn't have family that cared anything about him. And for us to take time out of our night and go find him and then bring him back home with us was something he never experienced in his life. Well, we took him back home. We fed him breakfast. We sobered him up that night. And then we told him the story about the prodigal son. And you know what he did? He said, you know what? I think if he can do that, I can too. Twenty-eight years ago was when that happened. About a year ago, he went to heaven. Rusty was still sober. And he could read. And he was sharing with others about the hope that he had. So what have we looked at today? I'm wrapping it up now. Thank you for bearing with me today. We've learned that point one, there is no one in and of themselves good enough to be in God's presence. No one. We are all prodigals. We were all separated from God. We all came up short. Point two, there had to be a rescue. Without a rescue, each one of us was doomed. And point three, you were made to enter the race because our Father has lifted you up to be great. You know, the greatest people I know in life are the ones that give away what they have been given. It's the greatest oxymoron of all time, right? You cannot keep what you have unless you give it away. Jesus said that. You know, if you're sitting here in this room today and are a follower of Jesus Christ, a destiny of greatness awaits you. Pick it up. Run with it. Don't let anything get in the way. You were made for such a time as this. You know, I hope you're thinking about whatever it is that's holding you back right now. Because right now, you have a chance to leave whatever that is at the cross. Whatever that is, you can leave it here today. And if you've identified something in your life and you say, I just don't know if I can come down front and share that. Find somebody else to share that with. Don't keep it to yourself because I know this. If you keep it to yourself, you'll pick it right back up after you leave here. Share that with somebody else. And this morning, we know the one who can take it all away. We know the one who is waiting to make you great. And his name is Jesus Christ. If you have any need at all this morning... You're more than welcome to come down as we stand and as we sing.